As Celine mentioned, our theme for Advent and Christmas here at St. Michael is letters at Christmas. When my wife and I were dating, our entire courtship was a long-distance one. She was living in St. Louis, um, I was living in St. Louis, Missouri. She was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We saw each other about every three or four weeks for a couple of days, but that was about it. Now, that was a time when communication resources like FaceTime, text messages, email weren't available. The only real communication resources that we had available to us was a telephone, the old-fashioned kind. And male, also the old-fashioned kind. This will not be a surprise to some of you, but maybe to some. At that time, if you wanted to make a phone call to somebody living out of state, it was a long-distance phone call, and there was a fee for that. I don't remember what the fees would have been, but according to the one source I looked at, suggests that a three-minute phone call would be a dollar and thirty cents. So for a 30-minute phone call, that's thirteen dollars. And I can tell you as a seminary student, I couldn't afford very many of those. So the other main means of communication we had was writing letters. And at that time, a first-class postage stamp cost twenty cents. So you do the math. $13 or 20 cents? What do you think we did more of? We wrote letters. Quite a lot of them, actually. You know, it might seem almost unheard of these days to sit down and write a letter. In fact, when was the last time some of you sat down and hand-wrote a letter to someone? Or when was the last time you received a handwritten letter from someone? It's generally not how we communicate as much these days, but there was a time when that was just about all you had in communicating. And that brings me to our reading today from the book of Revelation. By holy inspiration, John wrote the last book in the Bible that we call Revelation. And in doing so, there are seven letters recorded there in chapters 2 and 3. Actually, the order of these letters kind of made up a postal route from the church in Ephesus all the way to the church in Laodicea. Seven letters to seven churches in seven cities in an area today that we call Turkey. At the end of chapter 1 in the book of Revelation, this is the instruction that Jesus gives to John about these letters. He says, write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. In other words, John was writing down what he saw and what was applicable for him in that time and in that place, 
but he was also writing what would be applicable to us today. Write what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. You may be relieved to know this morning that there's not enough time here for me to unpack all seven of these letters. But I do think that there's some general observations that we can make that both refer to the time in which they were written and to us today. And the first observation is that Jesus is calling us, his people, to live by faith over fear. And I'm starting here because if you've ever read Revelation or if you start reading through that in the next couple of, over the next couple of weeks, you're going to read about some things that are rather frightening. For instance, there's a red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. There's a beast that comes out of the earth with two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a lion. Additionally, John says there's tribulations, there's sufferings, there's persecutions of all different kinds. And yet, with these odd descriptions and these mysterious references here, the book of Revelation wasn't written to scare us. It was actually written to encourage us in our faith, to, to give us hope, to point us to the ultimate victory that we have through Jesus Christ. What was written in Revelation, what was written in these letters, was to encourage us to live by faith over fear. So, for instance, in the letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is described as one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Well, the seven lampstands are a reference to the church. The stars are a reference to the people, the leaders of the church. And so what that tells us is that Jesus is holding us in his hands, and he's walking among us. To the church at Smyrna, Jesus says he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. To the church at Pergamum, it says that, that Jesus is holding a sharp, double-edged sword in his hand, which is a reference to truth. So despite all the chaos and confusion that exists still today in the world, God is still the keeper of truth. As you read through Revelation, you will see a number of descriptions that, that may seem a bit fearful. But isn't it true that as we look among this world today, there's some things that seem a bit fearful still now? Ultimately, though, the book of Revelation, including these seven letters, don't tell a story of dread and defeat. Quite the opposite. Jesus says, do not be afraid, I'm the first and the last, I'm the living one. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever. Seven letters were written to encourage you to live by faith over fear. But in living by faith, Jesus also encourages us to live by courage over compromise. Let's take the church at Pergamum, for example. On the one hand, Jesus commends the church for their loyalty. You did not renounce your faith in me, he says. And yet on the other hand, they act, have acted like Balaam in the Old Testament 
and allowed for practices of idol worship and unrestrained sexual behavior. It's compromise. To the church at Thyatira, he says much the same. That's compromise. To the church in Ephesus, he says you've abandoned your first love. That's compromise. These seven cities were located in a very cosmopolitan area where it was common at that time for there to be temple worship and prostitution and perverse behaviors. It was a part of the culture. So just imagine how strong the pull was. Just imagine how strong the pull was on the believers in those little churches to get sucked into all of that. But isn't the same the true today? In our culture, how easy it is for us believers to get sucked into the pull of our culture. And when that happens, it's compromise. Maybe you never intended things to go this far, but an affair happened, it's compromise. Maybe you never intended to click twice on that website, but now it's a regular habit. That's compromise. Maybe you only intended to take just one drink or to, to use that substance just one time, but, but now you're caught in an addiction. That's compromise. If you read these seven letters, you will notice that in at least five of them, there's a call for God's people to repent. And so to come face to face with what needs to be made a change in our life, that takes courage, doesn't it? God calls us to repentance over regret. He calls us to truth over tolerance. He calls us to courage over compromise. But because he also calls us to live by faith and courage, he calls us to live out our faith with a spirit of adventure over apathy. It's a distinct sense of apathy that we see evidenced in the church in, in Ephesus, and in Laodicea, in Sardis. To the church in Ephesus, he says, you've lost your first love. That's apathy. To the church in Laodicea, he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. That's apathy. To the church in Sardis, Jesus says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Your deeds are undone. That's apathy. I think out of all those things, what it reinforces for us is that out of all the things the church does, may we never lose sight of why we are really here. When I came to St. Michael just a little over a year ago now, I decided I didn't, didn't want to rewrite or start from scratch what our strategic focus would be for our church, because I really believe that the one already in place still had merit and momentum, that we have a mission of connecting people to Jesus and others, and as we look at that mission, that's what I see, that's the adventure that we're on as a church. And the way we carry out that adventure is by becoming more like Jesus, belonging to his community, and blessing his world. We don't ever want to get to the point where we look at all of that and say, oh, it's okay if we do it, it's okay if we don't. Because if we do, that's apathy. 
That's why I think a realigned focus for the ministry that Pastor Sean has been called to as our missional pastor is appropriate at this time to focus on young adult ministry. It says that the, this is a church that looks at mission as adventure. To have 322 new apartment building, new apartments being built across the street from us is an opportunity for our church to look at our new neighbors with adventure, not apathy. In the letter to the church at Philadelphia, Jesus says he holds the key of David in his hands. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut, he says. To be a church that is focused on adventure over apathy is always looking for open doors. And why not? Our position as God's people is one of victory over victim. Notice that in each one of the seven letters, there's words here of commendation. But there's also words of condemnation and correction. It's why Jesus calls his church to repent. And even today, as we're called to repent, we don't want to see ourselves as victims of sin or sorrow or suffering, but instead we want to see ourselves as recipients of God's victory. We're not victims of defeat because Jesus has already defeated the enemy. We are inheritors of his victory. And so notice how each one of the letters makes reference to the victory that is ours. To the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. To the one who is victorious, you will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who is victorious, I will give you a, right, a white stone with a new name written on it. To the one who is victorious, I will give you authority over the nations. To the one who is victorious, I will never blot out your name from the book of life. To the one who is victorious, I will write on you my new name. To the one who is victorious, I will give you the right to sit with me on a throne. To every church, to every person, to every one of you. God offers you his victory. You and I do not need to see ourselves as victims of chaos and corruption in this world. We do not need to live our lives as victims of fear or compromise or apathy. But instead, we can live our life each day in light of the victory that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. That's what seven letters to seven churches in seven cities is all about. And for those of you in this congregation who have been participating in this reading through the New Testament this year, if you read no further in Revelation, which you have a couple more weeks to finish out our New Testament reading, if you read no further, go home and read at least chapters 2 and 3. And in your parish notes on page 13 and 14 is kind of a summary of those, of those two chapters, each one of the letters that has been written. But notice that each of these letters ends with the words, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
With that in mind, I'd like for us to consider one other thing in light of these letters. If Jesus was to write a letter to our church today, what do you think he would say? If Jesus were to write a letter to our church to say, today, what would you want him to say? If Jesus were to write a letter to our church today, what do you hope he would say? He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Jesus' name, amen.